We are in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. This is God's Word. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael, to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Okay, quickly, in terms of cast of characters, Abraham, at this point, Abram, is, is he one of the good guys or one of the bad guys? Good guys. Is, is, he, is he hero or villain? Hero, okay. Um, is he an example of faith? Abram believed God. It was considered unto him righteousness, right? So example of faith, yes. Does that mean everything that he does is a good example for us? No. Uh, anything prior to this come back to mind as far as something he did 
that he ought not to have done. Cowardice, which is hideous, expressed by having his wife go along with his lie about, uh, she's my sister. Which he rationalized by thinking, well, she is my half-sister. Okay, remember that? Remember that story? Okay. Is that, is that how we're supposed to behave? Cowardly, deceit, thinking it's not really a lie even though it really is. Partly true. Have you read all those books? Some of them twice. Okay? It's not an honest response. You're trying to mislead. Deceit amounts to lying. So, here, in this story, we have another example of what not to do. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, now, whose idea was this? This is her idea. She said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. That was true. That was true. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This is the woman who takes care of her, who waits on her, who does the stuff that she doesn't want to have to do. And now she's going to use her for one more thing. She's not trying to give Hagar a gift. She's not really... I don't believe she prayed this through. What do you think? Okay? But it seemed like a good idea at the time. Because I can use her by letting you use her husband in order to give us what we want. And that's a baby. So she's going to be a surrogate mom. You'll be the father. I'll be the mother. She's just going to carry the baby. Okay? And Abram said, wife, this is not a good idea. No, Abram says, okay. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So, after he'd been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. We're going to have a polygamous marriage here. Is that the original design that God gave? No. Let's say it together. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Let's say that one more time. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Well, I mean, now he's just got two wives. Well, no, 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 Here, here's the problem. You're not paying attention to that statement. A man and a woman, not a man and some women. Got it? 
The two become one. That's what God said. That was the design from the start. Now, there are a lot of people who kind of deviated from that design here in the scriptures, including some of the heroes. Yeah, and it never turned out happily. Dr. Wilson, one of my professors in college, who had a PhD from Brandeis, said something, and because I never learned Hebrew, really, I learned a little bit of Hebrew and a little bit more Hebrew and a little bit more Hebrew, but I didn't really. He wasn't a Hebrew professor to me. He was a Greek professor to me, and I didn't do well in Greek either. But Dr. Wilson said that the Hebrew word for a second wife is the word for trouble. (laughs) I'm not sure that... He did have a PhD from Brandeis, which is a Jewish university, and he was a true linguist. I mean, he knows... But I think he may have just been joking. Whether that is the word in Hebrew or not, I can tell you this. A second wife is trouble. When I was in eighth grade, I've shared this on more than one occasion, when I was in eighth grade, I thought I was just too much man for any one woman. And, and I prayed and said, God, why? The Old Testament saints were able to have more than one wife. Why can't I have more than one wife? Now, I didn't have any wife. I was 13 years old, okay? But I was just, my hormones were surging, and I felt like God's gift to women. The women hadn't figured it out, but, but, but I knew I was awesome, okay? And so I I said, God, why can't I have more than one wife? It was the first time I ever, it wasn't audible, but it was the first time I felt like God spoke to me, and he said words to the effect of, if that's what would have been best for you, that's the way I would have planned it. If that's what would have made you happiest, that would have been the design. And that thought was so foreign to my 13-year-old hormonally addled brain that I knew that just wasn't me thinking. That was God talking to me and saying, buddy, I designed this universe. I did a really good job. You folks are the ones who blew it, okay? You didn't follow my plan. Stick with my plan. The reason for sickness and disease and warfare, all the problems in this world, death, is because people thought they could do better than God. We don't have to do what God says. I'm not even sure God said that, really. But husbands, say, well, there are only a few husbands in here. Some of you may grow up to be husbands. Husbands, let me tell you something. Just because your wife says it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. So this is kind of like an example of where the wife says, hey, how about if we do this, and it turns out it was not a good plan. Yeah, yeah, this is an example of that. I can think of another. Let me, let me, let me really dig deep. Here we go. Oh, there was this fruit tree in the middle of the garden, and Eve got suckered in to going ahead and disobeying God and taking some, and she gave some to her husband, and he said, okay, 
passive males go all the way back to the fall. Okay? Well, she didn't, she didn't exactly choke and fall dead on the ground. Yeah, you don't understand death. Multifaceted. You're going to find yourself ashamed and trying to hide from God. Blaming others. That's what death looks like. The part about your heart stopping and no more breathing and all that stuff, that's just kind of like last stage of your physical body. But there are a whole lot of walking dead all around us every day. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, so Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, was taken by Sarai and given to Abram to be his wife, and he slept with her and she conceived. Because the infertility issue was not Abram. The Lord had kept Hagar from having a child, just as she said. But, when Sarai found out that Hagar was pregnant, she began to despise Hagar. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise Sarai. Is that okay? Is is that okay? Not at all. So Sarai said to Abram, oh, I am so sorry I suggested this. I I did a bad thing. I'm, I'm so sorry. Now we've got a problem. Is that what she said? No. She says, this is your fault. Okay? May the Lord judge between us. Do you know what's happened? That second wife of yours is now treating me badly. She despises me just because she's pregnant and I can't have a child. This is not what I envisioned, and it's your responsibility. Now, what would you think if you're Abram? Like, hey, this wasn't my idea. Okay? I didn't ask for this. I just went along with your plan. Now it turns out your plan wasn't such a good plan in your eyes. Sorry about that, but don't blame me for doing what my wife says. Well, guess what? That's not a good response either. Because husbands, your job isn't to do whatever your wife says. Your job is to husband. You see, we think of husband just as a noun. But husband is also a verb. And it is the meaning of that verb that creates the use of that word as a noun. A husband, let's see, what would be an example? How about Mr. Pat in the garden? He is husbanding those plants. He's nurturing them, he's weeding, he's caring for them. That is what husband means. 
He protects the garden from pests because the plants can't run away from rabbits. You understand? So the word husband has to do with caring for something, nurturing that thing, protecting that thing, seeking to help that thing grow and be all it can be and produce fruit. That term husband is typically used with regard to those who care for a vineyard. Because if you want to get good fruit from a vineyard, you can't just let the vines grow on their own. Okay? So he had failed to husband his wife, and now when she's complaining because he did what she said and it didn't work out the way she hoped, she's blaming him, and he's just kind of like, She's, she's your maidservant. You do whatever you want. Well, she's also become his wife at this point. But he feels no responsibility for her because he doesn't want to mess things up with Sarai. Okay? So he says, she's your maidservant. Whatever you think, babe, I'm just going with the flow. I'm just supporting you, honey. Whatever you think, I just I trust your judgment. We know that you make good decisions. Really? Not the last one. Based on track record, I'm not sure you ought to just be turning things over to Sarai. But your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai called Hagar in and said, listen, we need to have a talk. I'm now starting to regret having suggested this whole arrangement. I realize it put you in an awkward spot. You didn't even have a say in the thing. You know, it wasn't like you decided you want to marry my husband. I wanted to use you in a way that ultimately was selfish on my part. I realized that was wrong. Please forgive me. And now let's see if we can try and have a, a, a good relationship. No. What did she do? Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. You know what these people are acting like? A bunch of sinners. You know what sinners deserve? We deserve hell. You know the only hope for any of us? God's grace. That's it. You can search from Genesis to Revelation. The only one who always does right is God. Everybody else messes up. And that's why it is worse than stupid for us to try and pretend that we're perfect. Well, I mean, I know, I, I know I'm not perfect, but basically I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty good person. Quit it. You're not fooling anybody. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us should be able to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It describes us. Okay? I don't know how I did it. I, I just washed these pants yesterday. 
And, and they were all clean because I've got company coming this afternoon and I wanted to have these pants nice and clean to go with my denim shirt. And apparently while I was making breakfast this morning, I splattered some butter from my eggs onto the front of my pants. And now they need to be washed again. And I'm having to decide whether I go ahead and wear them all day, get one day of wear out of them before I have to wash them again, or whether I just go ahead and say, no, I spoiled them at breakfast, so let's go ahead and put those back in the wash, and I'll put on a different pair of pants. I do have a few other pairs of pants, so I I can do that. It's just I wanted to wear these. That's why I washed them. They go nicely with the denim because they're not blue, you see. They're they're sort of a bluish gray, and I I don't want to be too matchy-matchy. My, my son, Clayton, made me promise a number of years ago that I would never again wear denim with denim. And I, I showed him an expensive men's catalog that comes to our house unsolicited that showed a bunch of pictures of, you know, really handsome-looking models wearing, like, you know, $400 jeans with an $800 shirt, and it was denim. You know, I mean, they're wearing denim with denim. Why can't I do that? He said, Dad, promise me. I said, okay. I haven't done it since. If you ever see me wearing denim shirt with denim pants, you will know that either my son has relented or I'm just completely senile. But here's the thing. Some... If you had seen these pants, if I had not washed these pants and worn them this morning and gotten butter on them, um, if I'd worn them yesterday in the condition they were in, they were less clean than they are now. But you wouldn't be able to tell it by looking at them. You understand? In other words, right now you can see these pants are not completely clean. They weren't completely clean before I got the butter on them. Yesterday, they were dirtier than they are now. Some people look good on the outside. Their sins tend to be better hidden than some of the rest of ours. But the fact of the matter, I don't care who you're talking about, and certainly if you're looking at this guy, All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you understand? All of us deserve hell. Don't don't think for a minute that just because that person's got a speck in their eye, you can feel okay about the beam in yours. But don't think for a minute that just because that person's got a beam in their eye, that you ought to just keep the speck in yours. You understand? It's not about comparing each other's sins. It's about coming before a holy God and realizing, I need salvation. I need God's mercy. So, Sarai mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring. I love this. 
because she didn't go looking for God. But the angel of the Lord went after her. That's what he does. The Lord comes to us. All the way back in the garden. God goes walking in the garden. Adam and Eve try and hide in the bushes. And the Lord who knows all things called them to confess, saying, Adam, where are you? God is always graciously the one who pursues us. So the Lord, the angel of the Lord, found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And again, this isn't a make-believe story once upon a time, long, long ago, in a land far away. This is the spring beside the road to Shur. That spring's still there. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? Is this because God didn't know? God knew exactly what was going on, and he went and looked her up. And she said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Now, sometimes people need to get out of abusive situations. And some of you know all too well that it can be a dangerous thing to stay in some situations where the abuse is really bad. But the kind of abuse that Sarai was inflicting on Hagar was not a dangerous kind of abuse that Sarai couldn't deal with. It was just enough to make her miserable. Sometimes, when you're in that situation, you need to do as Jesus told his disciples and shake the dust off your sandals and move on. But sometimes, you're in a situation where you're called to endure and the New Testament tells us if you're a slave, don't set your heart on getting free. But if you have an opportunity to get free, get free. Okay? So the angel of the Lord said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And then the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Who is the angel of the Lord? I believe, along with Christians for centuries, that this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a whole lot of incidents all through the Old Testament where that seems very clearly to be the case. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. You ever wonder if God sees you? You ever wonder if God hears about what you're going through? You ever wonder if he cares? This story is a reminder to all of us that when we're in a situation where we don't feel like we're being treated right, 
where we didn't have a lot of choices about how we got into the situation. Hagar didn't set her eyes on Abram and say, man, I wish I was his wife. She was just trying to do a good job for Sarai and apparently was doing such a good job that she was so trusted by Sarai that Sarai thought, I wouldn't mind having her be the mother of my child. Selfish mindset. But she didn't have a lot of choices. And she finally was miserable enough to run away. And the Lord says, you need to go back there. But he says, you're now with child. You'll have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. And then God gives her some insight into her son's personality and future. He will be a wild donkey of a man. If you've ever heard someone called a jackass, it's not a compliment. And it's not talking about their derriere, it's talking about the fact that they have the personality of a donkey. Okay? We have a political party that has chosen that as their symbol. I'm not going to say anything beyond that. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And let me tell you something. Still true today. Still true today. The history of Ishmael's descendants is tragic. Well, aren't there some descendants of his who are Christians? Yes. And they are precious brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like my Viking ancestors were scoundrels who went around raping and pillaging, but my grandfather was a wonderful Christian. and My mom was a wonderful Christian. So just because I'm half Norwegian doesn't entitle me to go around and rape and pillage, nor does it mean that I have to live under a cloud because I'm descended from the Vikings, who until fairly recently were not the heroes of multiple media. Your ancestry does not mean that you can't be born again and have an identity in Jesus Christ. But this guy, he was going to be a wild one. And he was going to be against everybody, and everybody was going to be against him. So she gave... This name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. And that well became known as the well of the living one who sees me, which is what Bir Lahai Roy means. And it's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. To be continued. What's the takeaway? We've all sinned. We need a Savior. God sent Jesus. You can have a new life. You can have a new identity. 
You don't have to be defined by your genealogy. You don't have to be defined by the family you grew up in. You don't have to be defined by the culture that you were a part of. You can have a new life in Christ Jesus. But if you're going to have a new life in Christ Jesus, you've got to realize, okay, I'm no longer defined by how I grew up. I'm no longer defined by how my relatives behave, and I'm not going to base my decisions on what people <clears throat> who are close to me, like Sarai was to Abram, tell me it's okay to do. It's okay. I, it's, I think it would be good for you. I think it would be good for us. I think it would help our relationship if you would do this thing that is not obedience to God's plan. You understand? You will have people who care about you and people you care about who will encourage you to do things that are not in line with what God says. And you have to decide, am I going to be like Abram was in this chapter and facilitate a new mess? Or am I going to say, that's not what God said. God said the two shall become one. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for not leaving us in the dark regarding what your plan is. Thank you that your design for marriage is a beautiful thing. And that those who obey you, even in the midst of hardship, find that your way is best. Help us, Lord God, to trust and obey. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.